Um, hello, everyone. This is Premier Chess CEO, National Master Evan Rabin, and I am very excited to be here on the 140th edition of the Premier Chess podcast with a very special guest, uh, Elisa Melikina, who is uh, one of the top uh, female chess players uh, in the country. Uh, she is also a litigator uh, and actually uh, a couple years back uh, published the book uh, reality Check, uh, which actually provides some great insights uh, into both her uh, career uh, as a chess player and an attorney, and uh, sort of how those uh, two worlds uh, kind of came together. So uh, yeah, um, Alisa, great to have you on. Uh, is there anything else uh, you know about yourself that you think is worth mentioning before we uh, begin conversation? Yeah. Hi, Evan. Uh, good to see you again. And thanks for having me on your show. Very happy to be here. It's a great time for chess. So I'm happy to be on, you know, in the middle of this chess boom. Uh, you pretty much cover the gamut of my background. Uh, chess has always been a big part of my life. And currently my uh, full-time day job is as a corporate litigation attorney at a big law firm in New York City, but uh, chess still plays a big role. And I would add that the other big aspect of my life is dance. I've been classically trained in uh, ballet. And I always say that chess is discipline of the mind, whereas uh, ballet is discipline of the body. Mm. Interesting. And uh, I did know actually that, uh, you know, you were uh, very into ballet, uh, you know, growing up and uh, probably still do, you know, a little bit. Um, how would you say like dancing and chess have sort of compared and contrasted uh, to one another? Yeah, sure thing. Well, I grew up uh, doing both uh, very seriously, actually, even though my chess career uh, took off and my dancing is not even near the same level, but I still keep up with it. Uh, so it's something um, I both started to learn when I was around five or six. Uh, and chess instills a very rigorous discipline of your thought process. And in chess, you always have to be aware of you know, where your mind is wandering and what your next move is and uh, the, the next few steps. And ballet is very similar uh, with the body because you have to be always aware of you know, what your limbs are doing at any given moment, making sure that you're ready to go into the next move and the next step. Uh, so that's from the discipline aspect and, of course, just from the physical perspective as well, um, being in top shape in chess is very important and that's not uh, observed as much or acknowledged as much that to be a chess player, you have to have a lot of stamina and be in top physical shape. I heard that the top chess players hire personal physical trainers and nutritionists and that completely makes sense to me. Uh, so I think it's very important if you're pursuing something very seriously, such as chess, that takes a big mental toll and drain on you. It's very important to have a physical activity, sport, dance, uh, something on the side to complement. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, super, super cool. Um, you know, obviously both are both, you know, arts and sciences. Uh, you know, my friend Ray Martinez um, you know, says that uh, he tells his students to control uh, the center, like dancing on the center of the stage, <laughs> uh, which could be, uh, you know, sort of interesting, I think, uh, just, uh, you know, being able to, uh, you know, continue to, uh, you know, be flexible uh, and go from, you know, one part of uh, the board or the stage, uh, you know, to, to another. So, um one, Elisa, you know, the first thing I, I really wanted to, you know, ask you about 
um, was, uh, you know, just your upbringing, uh, you know, as a chess player, um, you definitely, uh, you know, had a lot of success, uh, you know, very early on. Um, and, you know, you know, it, it, it's definitely, uh, I wouldn't say like a rarity, um, you know, we've had other, obviously, as you know, top women uh, chess players on the podcast, like Susan Polgar and Jen Trahati. Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, unfortunately, at least not yet the norm. So could, could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing as a chess player and how you think, uh, you know, being a female chess player might have had some impact? Yeah, sure thing. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, there are a lot of top uh, female chess players and role models, and I'm standing on the shoulders of giants compared to the Polgar sisters and compared to Jen Shahadi. Uh, and everyone has a different story and a different journey with chess. Uh, so I'll, I'll just speak to mine. Uh, as I mentioned, I was taught chess uh, at a very young age, around five or six. My dad taught me how to play. Uh, I then competed in my first chess tournament, which back then, of course, were all over the board. Uh, one of the big o open Swiss is the World Open in my mm -hmm. hometown of Philadelphia. Uh, so it was also helpful that there were was a big chess scene, at least in terms of there being um, access to tournaments in Philadelphia that uh, I could go to and attend. And I just took to the game very naturally. And I think that's very important because I uh, to keep in mind, I do get a lot of questions from parents in terms of, you know, how do you how do I get my child to stick with chess? How do I get my child into chess? And my perspective has always been that you can't really force, you know, a child to take on something that they're not naturally inclined to do. Uh, I think if you introduce a child to chess, uh, it becomes very clear very early on uh, if they are naturally curious about the game and if they want to continue. And I would say that's the biggest uh, sign or the biggest predictor of success uh, in terms of the future, uh, in terms of them sticking with the game throughout the high school level, where we know that many kids, especially uh, young girls, tend to drop out and start to focus on other pursuits. Uh, so for me, I just kept on winning and uh, pushing forward. I really enjoyed the game. You touched on the aesthetic aspects of the game. You know, there is a beauty to chess. I was very drawn to it, as well as the competitive aspects. Uh, so I kept going, I kept qualifying for international, national events. And those types of metrics, that type of reward system where you input a certain amount of work and then you get uh, some recognition or some output, uh, I think is also very helpful and uh, definitely drove me to keep on going. And I do thank uh, the U.S. chess scene for providing those opportunities at the scholastic level and supporting their young and female chess players. Uh, and then um, before I knew it, it just became such an ingrained part of my life and my uh, identity in the way that I kept going with it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you, you raised some important ideas there. I mean, one, uh, you know, obviously you shouldn't, you know, throw chest down a kid's throat, right? It should be because the kid actually wants it. Um, and you'll see, you know, fairly early on. Um, and I see that, of course, a lot with, you know, chess parents. You know, they think, oh, uh, you know, I'm a master, so, you know, my kid should be uh, the same. Um, but that, of course, is, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, the, 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 the truth. And, um, you know, and I think um, I would say in particular with, you know, women, uh, you know, they do have distractions. Um, and as you certainly know, uh, you know, during middle school and high school, 
uh, is where the gender gap starts to, um, I would say, rise substantially. Um, you know, in most scholastic programs, it's actually, you know, relatively, I would say, equal between um, boys and girls. But then in middle and high school, that's when it definitely drops off. You know, we have one program at the Yeshiva of Flatbush, for instance, uh, where we have 20 students. One of them is a female. Um, and actually, I give that one female, like, a lot of credit each week. I'm just like, oh, my God, like, you know, bring some friends. But at the same time, like... It's super, super cool that like you're, you know, not letting like the stereotype like stop you from coming, you know, each week. And I could easily see you just being like, wow, there's like a bunch of dudes here. Um, I'm not coming back. But um, what, what do you think could be done to get girls to like continue playing in middle school and high school uh, and beyond? Yeah, and, and you touched on on a lot there. And um, just let me first mention, because you mentioned um, distractions. And so I, I don't think there's any distraction specific to girls as opposed to boys, but it's maybe the response to them. Uh, and in terms of, you know, what girls choose to do with their time, I think like girls tend to be more pragmatic. And so if they're faced with decisions of should I continue spending all my hours on chess or focusing on physical activities or applying to college, I think they'll take the more pragmatic approach uh, and that's why you see that a lot of the top uh, female chess players are, you know, they're multi-talented and they're successful in, in other fields. Um, so I co-founded the New York City Corporate Chess League. And despite uh, chess being very heavily male dominated, interestingly, in the New York City Corporate Chess League, we're seeing such a strong uh, participation from female chess players. The co-founders of the league were all women and half the captains on the, the teams and these teams are you know, banks from across the city, top names, um, gold star institutions, half the captains are women. And there's a lot of female participation, at least compared to the other sphere. So we're seeing, you know, women taking what they can from chess and applying it to other fields uh, as well. And it, it just takes a lot to be a professional player these days, a big time commitment, you know, for anyone, for male, female, and I have so much respect for, for anyone who does that as a full-time career. Uh, but you also touched on another issue, which is lack of participation from other girls and lack of role models. Um, and so you might have a situation where a young girl, she'll feel intimidated if she's just one of 20 or 30 boys in the class, or she doesn't feel included, she doesn't feel as comfortable analyzing with the other guys or feel that she's part of the guys. Um, so in, in order to help that, it's very important to have more female role models, more female coaches, more female uh, players looking up that they can look up to, uh, just more representation from um, women who have done other things with chess to say that even if chess is not your full-time career goal, that's okay, but here are the benefits that chess can offer you in academics and the career going forward and uh, try to appeal to um, women and girls that way. All right. Got it. And, and what would you say, um, you know, so you have a substantial, uh, you know, legal career, uh, you know, you're working, uh, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, firms in, in the city um, and, uh, you know, doing corporate uh, litigation. Um, as you know, you know, we actually do classes at, you know, Kramer 11, uh, you know, one of the other top law firms, uh, you know, in the city. Uh, you know, where we teach ideas like judgment training and critical thinking and uh, you know, other aspects of law, uh, you know, sort of through the game. Um, but how, how would you say uh, in particular uh, 
your chess skills have actually helped you as an attorney? Uh, yeah, sure thing. There's a lot of overlap between the strategy that you would derive from chess and the strategy you would apply in any other process-oriented field, such as law, um, especially in litigation. It largely depends on process, um, the litigation process. Uh, litigations tend to be very drawn out. Uh, it's not like it appears on TV where, you know, the entire case might be resolved in the week or in a few episodes and then everything happens immediately. They're surprise witnesses, surprise evidence. Uh, you know, some cases they can last uh, over two years. And so all, all of those steps along the way, they uh, depend on iterative steps and process. And just like in chess, where you have to calculate ahead and think about what your adversary is up to and how your adversary will respond to you. Just very similarly in litigation, you have to chart out your strategy to take into account um, what, what they're planning and be prepared to handle that. Uh, so th that's definitely one aspect of it. Uh, we can talk about you know, the critical thinking and the analytical skills and how you apply patterns uh, in chess. Similarly, in law, you would apply patterns you know, to, for example, in doing legal research or in generating work product and um, using templates and going off there and thinking about how prior precedent can help you in your current case. But of course, not using the exact template one-to-one, -one, but thinking about how it adapts to the situation at hand. So chess uh, very much teaches you how to adapt to new situations using the tools that you have at your disposal, using as many resources as possible. And similarly in litigation, that resourcefulness and um, working within the confines of a defined system, but going towards a, a new goal, uh, those two go hand in hand. Mm. Yeah, I think adaptability is huge, uh, you know, when things don't exactly go, uh, you know, as expected, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're, uh, you know, making the most of the situation. Um, and that could be actually when uh, things go better than expected, you know, or worse. Um, you know, I was going over a game uh, this morning with a student and, you know, he sort of made the sort of typical developing move, uh, not exactly realizing that his opponent actually did something that was a little bit inferior that he could have actually tried to uh, take advantage of. Um, so yeah, when, when things um, you know, are not going you know, as planned, uh, you wanna try to uh, you know, take a step back and uh, try to figure out uh, how you could you know, basically keep a deep breath and uh, just figure out, uh, you know, what, what sort of the rules of the game are uh, and how you could, uh, you know, best move uh, accordingly. So um, how would you say, um, so like, yeah, one, one of the, you know, main challenges, I would say, uh, you know, young adult chess players like you and I, uh, you know, actually have, uh, is just being able to, you know, balance, you know, our, our growing in chess um, and, and not only a career, but, you know, definitely a very, very busy career, uh, you know, working, uh, you know, at a, at a top law firm, um, right? So how, how would you say you've, you know, balanced your legal career and actually like, you know, continued playing tournaments and starting this corporate league and, uh, you know, everything else? Um, what, what, how, how have you sort of balanced your time? 
Sure, balance is very important, and that's probably the the top question I get nowadays: is how are you balancing, you know, having a career and then playing chess competitively? Uh, and I think that question starts from um, maybe the wrong premise because it, it assumes that you might not have enough time for everything, that you have to choose how to allocate your time. And over the years, I, I've come to appreciate that if you want to make time for something, you will make time for something. So if, if people say, oh, you know, I just don't have time for it, that to me sounds like more of an excuse. Um, but, but there's ways in which you can integrate it. And that just goes back to the planning and the process point, e even here from an external perspective of how do I plan, you know, my life around these things and how do I make sure that everything fits? Uh, you know, for example, you can carve out time to study, let's say, you know, not nowadays, but during your commute or if you're waiting for something, especially nowadays, everything is on the phone. You can play some practice games. You can look up videos. You can bring a book. A chess book and fit in uh, ways to study there and uh, carve out, you know, maybe a few hours during the week. And that'll be good enough for you to uh, keep up with chess and not be as rusty. Uh, and then, you know, just keeping a schedule, if you want to play in a tournament, um, clear out your schedule in advance, make sure um, that you plan around it. A and you can do it, you can use your vacation days. Um, if it's a weekend event, you know, maybe you'll just have to make sure you're free on that Friday evening so you don't get uh, swamped with work right before you have to leave and go out the door. But there are ways to do it. And I would say the more difficult aspect is taking a step back and figuring out, do I really want to pursue this? And what role will this play in my life uh, going forward? Um, because well, once you start going into a different career trajectory, or you become subsumed by that different world, and uh, maybe chess takes on less of a priority. And so you don't feel as motivated. So for me, the, the biggest challenge was not even balancing. It was just keeping up the motivation. If I'm motivated, then I'll find a way to keep up with it. I'll find pockets of time. But for me, I always go back to the same question of, you know, motivation and um, why should I devote my time to this instead of this? Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of it actually is, um, you know, I, I, I was telling this to someone earlier today, um, a lot of it actually is just the, uh, you know, importance of, you know, true desire. Um, most of the time, I would say people say they don't want to do things because they're busy. Um, you know, it's not necessarily true. You know, it's, 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 do they really want to do it, right? Because we're all busy. Um, if you really want to make time for something, um, you'll, you know, both professionally and, and personally, um, you'll definitely, you know, make it work, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess speaking of which, um, you know, I wanted to transition a little bit and talk about the corporate league uh, that you started, um, I think, together with uh, Alexandra uh, Wiener, uh, you know, from Goldman Sachs. Um, that was definitely something that, uh, you know, I was very excited to, to see. Um, and actually since then there's been, uh, you know, corporate chess championships, uh, FIDE, um, as you know, just had, uh, their first, uh, you know, world, uh, champion, a corporate championships. Um, and I think, yeah, all this work is, is, is great actually to bring more, uh, you know, corporate sponsors, uh, you know, into chess. Um, so could, could you tell me about, you know, starting the league and um, how that kind of came about? 
Yeah, definitely. And thank you also, Evan, you know, for the work that you do in the corporate chess scene. And it's definitely an unexplored uh, aspect of the chess world. And uh, when uh, my colleagues, my friends and I came up with the idea a few years ago, that was what we were starting with, because uh, by that point, we had all started at uh, big firms, banks, uh, institutions across the city. Um, the first year of the chess league, in addition to uh, my friend Alexandra Wiener at Goldman, we also had uh, Yan Ling, Yan, uh, top Canadian uh, women chess player who at the time um, was at Blackstone in New York City. And so all of us came together and said, well, we know a lot of chess players at these companies. Um, and uh, you know, a, a lot of these people, they say that they like chess and they like to play chess, but why, why isn't there a forum for us to come together and play chess? Because a, a lot of these um, employees at the companies, these executives are not going to spend time going to tournaments and they're not going to invest the whole weekend, especially since uh, a lot of them have their own families. Weekend time is very precious. Uh, so playing in a uh, big chess tournament is a huge time commitment. Um, but at the same time, they don't want to play just online bullet and blitz. So how can we get these worlds to come together? And then the idea of a corporate chess league was the obvious next step. Mm. Uh, so that was our starting point. And then we even had it just initial bases to draw from, you know, at, at my law firm, I knew of several chess players who would love the idea of joining a team in the league and competing there. And uh, likewise, they knew as well. And we also had um, other friends across the city who were in similar positions. Once we pitched the idea, they were immediately all in. So uh, beyond that point, it was just about getting buy-in to host the league. Um, it was about, you know, getting buy-in to the schedule. Uh, but, um, and, and I tell this uh, to people who are planning corporate chess league events, because um, I think they're still coming at it from the perspective of, here's our model for chess tournaments. And let's um, use this model and invite corporate um, employees, corporate teams to this chess model. And that's the wrong premise. The way that we came about it was here's the model of corporate galas, corporate networking events, and how do we fit chess into this mold? And I think that's why the league was so successful because um, we knew what would draw people out and how chess would be a part of that rather than vice versa. Hmm. And what would you say is the biggest benefit that chess could, uh, you know, actually bring to a company uh, in terms of either, uh, you know, putting classes together or, you know, putting a team together in one of these leagues? Sure. Well, there's a huge team building aspect to it. And that's why a lot of the players, they love the league because it doesn't really matter what level of seniority you are, where you are in the hierarchy, you know, you come to the league and uh, you play your game over the board and that's it. And this is one of the few places where we can go through, um, go through that veil of the hierarchies and the seniority and everyone just comes together and everyone has a good time and connects over chess. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's a big draw, you know, in chess in general. And we're talking about women in chess when I was a young girl playing chess. You know, I didn't even think of gender dynamics uh, because all I had was the board in front of me and, you know, I could be a 10 year old girl conversing with adults about positions or beating adults. Um, and everyone was just on a level playing field. Uh, so I, I'd say that's one aspect is just the corporate, the cultural team building aspect of it. Um, even doing these chess leagues, I've met people at the firm that I would never otherwise have come across either because they're in different departments or we would never work together. Um, and we have this commonality and it has enhanced everyone's experience. Um, and it, it's just a healthy, it's a healthy pursuit. I think it's accessible to everyone. And traditionally, you know, you hear 
uh, I'm not saying at my firm, but just in general, um, you hear like Wall Street types or like boys clubs or golfing um, or, or things that are traditionally more male um, dominated and are a bit exclusive, whereas I see chess as very inclusive. Mm. Yeah, well, I really like what you said about, uh, you know, everyone coming together, um, you know, and part of why I actually started um you know, the idea of even promoting corporate classes is I remember my days at Oracle, um, you know, and some of my closest friends from Oracle are not people that, you know, were on my team. Of course, I still talk to some of them as well, but um, truly the ones that I talk to like the most now, years later, uh, you know, were ones that I met through like Toastmasters, uh, you know, a public speaking club that really did actually uh, by far uh, increase my um, confidence to speak and, you know, post a podcast like this, for instance. So, um, but yeah, it was a great way to meet, you know, different lines of business. Um, I was actually on a call uh, two weeks ago with uh, one of my other podcast guests, Jerry Nash, uh, and a guy, Dylan Glad, uh, who actually uh, worked with Insperity, a big HR consulting firm. And uh, Dylan actually was talking about, uh, you know, this one time where he like just randomly left a chess set uh, in the office, uh, just partially curious as to like who would, uh, you know, basically like make a move. Uh, and then ended up being, you know, one of the janitors there, uh, you know, which kind of surprised him a little bit, you know, he, and, and as a matter of fact, they would, uh, you know, basically make one move at a, at a time and he didn't even know who he was playing. And then, uh, you know, one day he happened to notice that it was, uh, you know, him uh, making the move. Um, and it just, you know, it taught him how, you know, chess was, you know, also an equalizer um, and how, yeah, I mean, anyone could, uh, you know, be, you know, a master um, or at least, uh, you know, a good player uh, in the game. So, um, so where, so you, um, like, you know, some others, but not, you know, many, many others, uh, you know, did write a book about chess. Um, well, about chess and business and law, I should say, actually, reality check. Um, there was some games in there and some analysis in there, but um, it really was about, you know, sort of the parallels of uh, your career in the game. Um, and, I, and I really do think that there should be, uh, you know, more books about, uh, you know, chess and business um, Bruce Pandolfini wrote one, uh, who's also been on my podcast, and Jim Egerton wrote one, um, you know, about, you know, chess and business itself. But um, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Reality Check, and, uh, you know, how that came about? Yep, absolutely. So the book is a Reality Check, What the Ancient Game of Chess Can Teach You About Modern Competitive Settings. Uh, so you described it as a book about chess uh, and business or law, and those are definitely major themes of it. But um, I, I would describe the premise of the book as, you know, the competitive mindset itself. And chess is one exemplar of that. And that mindset surfaces in other endeavors, like in uh, business as well. Uh, but the point of the book was, it was a big um, self-reflection for me in terms of how I got to where I am, um, how chess played a role in that journey, and what lessons I can extract from that journey um, and have it applied elsewhere. Uh, so the book goes through, you know, 
we were talking about motivation. It goes through, you know, the motivations of a competitor and what is the mindset of the ultimate competitor. Um, and then once you um, agree with yourself in the way to go on the journey and you accept this journey and then how that mindset can help you in other aspects of your life. So um, there's a big psychological component to it. There's a big strategic component to it where I go over know some of the substance of the strategy we were talking about critical thinking analytical thinking uh planning ahead being purposeful those are very key uh chess centric components and then also the psychological aspects of what could be holding you back uh in your day-to-day -day, such as cognitive biases um or emotional responses um and, and chess really does teach you to be calm and uh composed to plan ahead and there's a lot that we can learn from there so that you can be successful uh, in any other field that involves competitive dynamics, not just uh, business and not just gaming, but these are present everywhere. So it, it definitely had some autobiographical components to it, a lot of philosophical components to it. Um, I was a philosophy major in undergrad and uh, have retained a part of that in my day-to-day -day thinking, which, and this was a great outlet to explore that since I don't get to draw on those experiences anymore. So the book has something for everyone too. And for those more chess inclined, there is an appendix in the back with some of uh, my highlights of games and lessons I can take from those from a chess perspective. Uh, but it, it's also for people who don't necessarily know how to uh, play chess at, at a high level, but they can appreciate the concepts and ideas of chess. Yeah, well, I remember, uh, you know, I was actually at one of your, uh, you know, posts uh, publishing uh, events, uh, Chess in the Schools, that uh, actually our recent podcast guest, um, the, the the president of Chess in the Schools, uh, Debbie, actually hosted. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was great. You were talking, you know, about all different, uh, you know, lessons that, uh, you know, chess players and non-chess players alike, uh, you know, could learn through the game. Um, of course, we do actually um, you know, some lessons for, you know, all ages and skill levels. And uh, it's important to, uh, yeah, host, uh, you know, different uh, you know, opportunities, uh, which, by the way, I did, you know, want to mention, uh, too. Um, I don't know if you saw or not yet, but we're actually with the Columbia Club hosting the All Ivy Invitational uh, Tournament uh, on the 23rd. Uh, we're actually going to have uh, live analysis from Grandmaster Mark Paragua. Uh, and a special uh, Q and A uh, with Bruce Pandolfini, uh, who of course was uh, recently an advisor on Queen's Gambit. Um, so, could you talk a little bit about uh, like Ivy Chess and uh, you know how you you know are you Penn uh, alum? Um, could you talk about like chess during uh, college and uh, you know in the in the Ivy schools? Yep, sure. I'm, I'm a Penn alum because I went to a Penn Law School, graduated in 2014 before I started working. Uh, and I did play in one of the Ivy events. It was hosted at uh, Columbia uh, at the time. And I'm very glad to hear at the strides it's making because at the time, I, I don't even think we had any type of live commentary or any type of emphasis on that. So it's great to see that chess is being elevated in all of these different aspects of it. Uh, and, and in fact, my experiences playing, you know, at the collegiate level um, is what inspired the corporate chess league in a sense. Mm. Because it's really the, the same idea. Um, similarly, uh, playing at that collegiate or university level, you know, I, I was part of a team with students I would never normally interact with just because they were in different schools. They were in different departments. 
Um, and yet we had a common goal and it enhanced our experience. And then interestingly, those same students, you know, that are at the colleges and not even necessarily at Ivy League schools, but just at other local colleges now end up going into the workforce and keeping up those uh, friendships uh, has, has been very rewarding. And also it is what um, inspired the chess league. And now my friends are now at companies and now they're playing on teams there. Uh, so I, I just think that in general, that's a very important uh, takeaway from chess is that uh, once you forge those friendships, uh, those are lifelong friendships. Um, you know, it's people always say it's very difficult to make friends as an adult. Um, but, but I would say chess, it, it creates such a bonding experience. Um, and you can really converse with someone, you can get an insight into what they're thinking, and they can see how you're thinking, and you can connect and work towards a common goal. Uh, and that's just a great way to uh, make friendships and maintain friendships. And then, you know, even now, if I walk into a tournament hall, I could see someone um, that maybe I played with years ago or someone familiar from the chess scene, and we could instantly start talking as if uh, no time has passed. Hmm. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, chess community is, is huge. You know, you and I have been, uh, you know, playing tournaments and, you know, actually knowing each other, um, you know, since, uh, you know, we were both teenagers, right? And uh, obviously had, you know, lots of mutual friends. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, great, especially like a bigger tournament, like the Amateur TV East. You just see like, yeah, like hundreds of people that you've met, uh, you know, over the years. Um, yeah, it's a big know, community, but it also feels very, very small, like you mentioned. You know, I think like you, even if you just spend a, a few months or a year in the chess community, you, you could know everyone within um, the tournaments that you're playing. Yeah, I was actually just telling that to a student this morning. You know, he was like, oh, I was playing this tournament the other day and, you know, I played against, you know, one of my friends. And I was like, yeah, well, guess what? You're going to get to a point where, you know, literally every single game you're playing against a friend, <laughs> you know, in, uh, in, in, a, in a couple of years. So, um, you know, once he starts, uh, you know, playing more and more, uh, you know, tournaments and, uh, you know, meeting everyone. So, um, anyway, I really want to thank you for, you know, coming on here, uh, you know, having a great conversation about uh, really a variety of subjects, you know, from the, you know, relationship with chess and dance and uh, the development of uh, a player to uh, the ability to, you know, make good decisions, uh, you know, both in chess and law, uh, you know, through the founding of, you know, the corporate league to you know, team building, uh, of course, your book, uh, Reality Check, um, and you know, Competitive Chess, uh, you know, both, uh, you know, on the business front uh, and uh, in the Ivy Leagues. Um, do you have uh, anything else you'd like to cover while you're on the podcast? Uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, you mentioned we covered a lot of topics and that's because chess is very uh, multidimensional and chess has a lot to offer in very different aspects. Uh, so yeah, I'd just like to close on the note that I'm very excited about this new chess boom we're experiencing now, thanks to Queen's Gambit, thanks to increased online play. Uh, and I hope to see chess going up and as more people get interested in the game and stay in the game, I'm sure we'll see uh, chess become more diversified and uh, there will be even more topics to cover later on. Definitely. And Queen's Gambit is, is huge, of course. And, uh, you know, I will say you're one of the, uh, you know, women who, you know, do actually uh, personify Queen's Gambit a little bit, uh, you know, in real life. 
And uh, I really do look forward to seeing, you know, your progress, you know, as a chess player, uh, as an organizer, uh, of course, in your legal career. Um, if you'd like, if anyone would want to, you know, reach you, learn more about the league or uh, any of the projects you're working on, is there a way people could reach you? Yep, uh, you can uh, visit my website, alissamelahina.com. Uh, and then there's a lot of information there. Um, there is um, contact email addresses. You can follow me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I, I'm on all of that. But um, yeah, the, the website is definitely um, the best way to reach me for anything. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lisa. Enjoy the rest of your precious uh, time of the weekend and uh, look forward to speaking soon. Yep, sounds good. Thank you, Evan. Thanks, everyone. Bye.